I mean, first that prelude, and I, I, I did tell them at the beginning without even hearing a note, I could just not preach today, and you all can just play all the songs. And Victor, you said, nope, we're just gonna do one song. <laughs> but that was a song. Okay, um, I guess we should pray. Let us pray. How about that? Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. Lord, help us to hear not the same old song we are always attuned to hear, but the new song, the better song, the more joyful song, the more hopeful song, the truer song you want to place on our hearts this day. This we pray in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So it is so nice to be back here in my robe. Now, I know that makes me a bit of a weirdo, but I actually love wearing this thing. I really missed my robe. For the super observant among you, your clergy hung up our robes throughout the month of January to make way and welcome our amazing guest preachers who were all coming from various contexts. But for me, I love me some vestments, and not even like the cool, hip kind. The more old-timey the vestments, the better. I love how a robe can make me feel both smaller and bigger at the same time. I love how it complements and contradicts modern worship. I love how it simultaneously looks like an homage to Ruth Bader Ginsburg and and Judge Judy, <laughs> right? Just a little bit. But I think the main reason that I love a robe is that it reminds me of the church, constantly vacillating between the sacred and the silly, what was and what is, who we aspire to be, and who we actually are. I know that for some people, a robe can be a reminder of the worst parts of church, abusive power and privilege. And yet for others, it is a reminder that we are called to be different than this world. But when it comes down to it, I think I love this robe because it's weird. I mean, imagine me wearing this robe out to dinner or something. That would be weird, right? But guess what? So is the church. So is Jesus Christ. So is the life of faith. What we are doing right here and right now is weird. And it's actually getting weirder by the moment. You see, in 2005, sociologists Roger Fink and Rodney Stark published a book entitled The Churching of America, 1776 to 2005. Just 20 years ago, the picture they painted was a hopeful one for the church. You see, in 1776, fewer than one in five Americans were active in the church, whereas in 2005, that number was more like six out of ten. Those are promising statistics, right? 
But if we flash forward to just last year, another book on the same topic was published, this time by religious leaders Jim Davis and Michael Graham, who titled their book, The Great De-Churching. Instead of a hopeful picture, they painted a dire one, one where now only four out of 10 Americans are active in the church, a shift almost as great as the churching of America, but instead of taking place over the course of 225 years, this shift has happened over the course of just 25 years. Now, one might assume that the cause of this catastrophic shift is catastrophic sin. That for too long now, churches have been about the wrong things, politics, money, power, success. And as a result, while Americans no longer trust the church, they still believe in God, but the church is not where they are going to go to find that God. And while that may be the case for many, maybe even some in this room right now, it actually isn't the case for most. As it turns out, the biggest reason that over 40 million Christians in America have gradually left the church and not the faith is because it is no longer compatible with their 21st century lives. Lives where maximizing your professional career, your financial security, and personal comfort reign supreme. In other words, church just really isn't doing it for us anymore. Which brings us to our final question in this series, the questions we are afraid to ask. Do I have to go to church to be Christian? Now, I know that compared to the other questions we've discussed thus far, this one doesn't actually seem that terrifying. After all, it's not the kind of question you ask the divine while staring into the great abyss, right? It's the kind of question you ask every time your alarm clock goes off on a Sunday morning, or when your friend invites you to brunch, or when your kid's soccer game is scheduled yet again during worship. Trust me, I get it. I really get it. Life is so busy. The weekends are so short, and passing the peace is so awkward. I mean, come on, do we really have to go to church to be Christian? And the answer, of course, is no. Church is not what makes you a Christian. Your statement of faith is not what makes you a Christian. Your beliefs, your Bible, even your baptism is not what makes you a Christian. No, Jesus is actually what makes you a Christian. So maybe the question we should be asking ourselves, or maybe the question we are actually afraid to ask is this, why go to church at all? With that, let us turn to our passage for today from the gospel according to Mark chapter 2. Listen up, folks, for God has spoken and continues to speak to us this and every day. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in the front door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. 
And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the man, the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? What is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up. Take up your mat and go to your home. And so the man stood up and immediately took his mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Now, before we delve into our passage for today, it is important to note the absence of two words in this story and in this context. And those words are church and Christian, okay? Now, none of the people in our story would have said, hey, do you want to come to church with me today? Or, hi, are you interested in becoming a Christian? And yet what we do have is a group of people from all walks of life gathered together to hear Jesus of Nazareth preach the good news of the gospel. And if that's not church, well, then I don't know what is, right? Now, by the time we encounter Jesus in Mark 2, a lot has already happened. He has already recruited his disciples, healed a bunch of people, and preached the gospel across Galilee. As a result... His fame and popularity are off the charts. So much so that he has to go out to the fishing village of Capernaum just to get some space. Now again, while the story isn't about the church as we know it, there is enough here that I think we can relate to. I mean, just imagine, just imagine that Jesus, the Jesus, the one that everyone is talking about, is at your house. And since word travels fast, the next thing you know, every room in your house is full. We're talking wall-to-wall packed. Neighbors, coworkers, perfect strangers, just showing up out of nowhere, moving your furniture against the wall, sitting on your brand new coffee table, which isn't load-bearing, by the way. There are so many people in your house, they are literally spilling out into your front yard. By now, your temperature is starting to rise. So you notice when a refreshing breeze comes to you from above your head where your roof used to be. But now in its place are four randos you've never seen in your entire life just tearing it apart. Why? So they can lower their friend who is lying on a mat into the center of your living room where Jesus just happens to be. You, of course, are a little annoyed because your house is being destroyed. 
but you haven't forgotten that Jesus is in your house. So before you do something you're going to regret, you look to him to see how you should respond. And there he is, just chilling. His gaze is fixated on your roof or where it used to be on those four trespassers, but he's not mad. In fact, you could swear that he's actually smiling. Then when their buddies, Matt, finally hits the floor, he says the weirdest thing, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you barely have a moment to process what has just happened when Jesus turns his attention to the lurkers in the corner. Now, you know what I mean by lurkers. They're the kind of people who show up to these things, not to participate or listen, but to test, to evaluate, to quality control, to make sure the right things are being said in the right way by the right person at the right time. They've got their checklists and their rubrics, and they are ready and hoping not to witness a miracle or to hear a good news, but to catch Jesus in a mistake. And in their eyes, they do just that. Look at him, handing out forgiveness like he's God or something. Mm. Sensing their thoughts, Jesus turns to the lurkers and calls them out on their pettiness. But he gets their concern. They don't know who he is or what he's about which means he's just going to have to show him. And with that, the paralytic stands up, grabs his mat, walks out of the house, and the crowd goes wild. Now, this story may not be about Christians per se or the church as we know it, but it very well could be. I mean, come on. The gang's all here with each of their own answers to the question, why go to church at all? I mean, for Jesus, the answer is easy, right? He is our preacher in the pulpit, our, our teacher in the classroom, our greeter at the doorway. He's at church because he has a good word to share, the gospel to bear. He's just happy that anybody showed up. Then there's the crowd that's gathered in the house. Now, they are the congregation, right? They know a good preacher when they hear one and follow a good preacher when they find one. But if they are being really honest with themselves, they aren't there for a show. They are there for some hope. Then we've got our scribes in the corner. They are the standard bearers, and the church wouldn't be here without them. After all, this whole people of God thing wouldn't, didn't happen overnight. Their ancestors did the hard work of laying down the foundation of this place, and they are not going to let some hack job just tear it all down. And of course, we've got our paralytic on the mat who's just there looking to be healed. I mean, he heard from his cousin that her neighbor's sister's wife's brother used to have leprosy, and well, this Jesus guy made him clean. What has he got to lose? Now, if we are being really honest with ourselves, we have all played at least one or maybe all of these parts. After all, these are the roles that the church has given us to play because they cater to what we need from this community of faith, a place for us to lead and serve, a place for us to hear good news, a place for us to preserve tradition, even and maybe a place for us to receive a miracle. 
why go to church at all? Well, so we can encounter Jesus, of course, the son of the living God. And that, of course, is the right answer. That is the Sunday school answer. Jesus is the most important part of this story, the best part of this story. Why wouldn't we want to encounter him, right? But friends, given where the church is today, I don't think that answer is enough anymore. Not because I don't think that Jesus is enough, but because I don't think that you are enough. I don't think that I am enough. I don't think that all of us as individuals just doing what is right for us is enough. But do you know what is? Apparently four of us are enough. One to carry each corner of somebody else's mat. You see, in addition to Jesus and the crowds, the scribe and the paralytic, Scripture tells us that there were four. For what? For friends, for leaders, for pastors, elders, deacons, newcomers, for what? No one knows. Why? Because it doesn't actually matter. Who they are doesn't matter. All that matters is that they were there on the roof that day, lowering a man into a house in order to get him closer to Jesus. Now that, my friends, is weird. That, my friends, is church. Mark 2, 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw the faith of the four and healed the one. So why go to church at all? Sometimes we go to help someone else encounter Jesus, the son of the living God. Sometimes we go to church just in case we happen to sit next to someone who can't make it past the first verse of the first hymn without sobbing, and we just happen to be carrying some tissue. Sometimes we go to church simply because a friend needed a ride and we happen to have a car. Sometimes we go because we know what it feels like not to belong and we are willing to do whatever it takes so that no one has to feel that way too. In a world that tells us that our schedules, our success, our needs, our beliefs, our anger, even our fear is the most important thing, sometimes we are called to go to church for each other. To be tired and uncomfortable and inconvenienced for the sake of those around us, for the sake of those who aren't even yet here, for the sake of those who physically or psychologically or spiritually cannot get close to Jesus but with our help. Sometimes we go to church just to carry the corner of somebody else's mat. And the good news is that's all we have to do. As the Bible teaches us, we don't have to do the healing. We don't have to do the forgiving. We don't have to make sure all the right words are being used at the right time by the right person in the right way. We don't even have to guard the front door. Now, as the Bible teaches us, that's Jesus' job. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the forgiver. Jesus is the author and perfecter and judge of our faith. Jesus is Lord 
And the even better news of this story and of the church is that in the end, it does not matter whether you are the crowd or the scribe, the man on the mat or the ones carrying a corner. Everyone gets to encounter Jesus. Everyone gets to meet the living God. So do you need to go to church to be Christian? No. But don't forget that simply by showing up, you have the power to make this church more whole. You have the power to bring healing to this place, one person at a time. So let me just close with this. It is not lost on me that you are already here sitting in the church, which means that I am literally preaching to the choir right now. Like, while 40 million of your fellow professing Christians have left the church, you are still here. You are still weird. So keep at it, folks. Stay weird. Wear your robe to dinner. Consider the needs of others before your own. Don't just point out the problems. Be a part of the healing. Put some skin in the game and get some sweat on your brow. Grab a corner of somebody else's mat knowing that the reason you are here is because someone held the corner of your mat once too. And all of God's people said, amen. amen.